morning, gentlemen and uh, kind, curious listeners. This is Music, Mindfulness, and Madness. I'm Michael Haley in Studio City, California. That's our new Kirk over there in San Francisco, and then D Madden. I don't know where you are, D. I forget. You I'm in. Uh, I'm in. I'm in Manzanita Beach, which is uh, it's about seventy miles west of Portland proper. Ah, uh, yes. Great. Yeah. So Port- Portland, for for some con- for for well, it's 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 a it's a detail Angelinos would appreciate. Uh, is is reasonably close to the beach. It's just not like uh, living in L.A. or Orange County, where the beach is always twenty minutes away. Yeah, we measure by time down here rather than if you take the five. Yes. Distance. Well, time and time and space are related, yes. right? So supposedly, yes. yeah. Something something in Los Angeles isn't a number of miles away. It is units of thirty minutes away. Exactly. That's about right. <laughs> Maybe forty-five exactly. minutes. That's yeah. About right. Yeah, it, 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 uh, sadly for me, it took years for me to wrap my head around the idea of, of, of getting in a car and driving 90 minutes to, to a beach. I wouldn't do it. I just, I, I was too spoiled. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, one of my friends from my LA days, uh, Cosmo Jones is about to open a coffee roastery and music venue out in in rockaway oh yeah uh, up there and rockaway's yeah. cool i love rockaway rockaway was one of the first beaches i i, I went to here with hazel yeah he's uh, he's telling me it's like uh, the hot up-and-coming place now it mm. kind of is it is it's 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 uh it's it's one of the sleepier towns that uh the first time i went to it i mean the, the place the, the beach was empty all the time empty like no one there uh, and it's a really nice, quaint little town, and I believe that uh, I, I don't doubt that it's uh, it's an up and comer. Mm. It's probably nice there. Good place to do something like that. Well, I believe today. Um, yeah. So, so, so I'm in Manzanita, and that's on Kirk over there in, uh, in in beautiful San Francisco. And we're going to be talking about uh, the TV. Well, streaming series Pistol about the Sex Pistols in all its majesty and all its horror, all the yeah. band, the band machinations. Anyway, where do we begin? Because <clears throat> I know we're all of varying opinions on this thing. I I liked it a lot. I mean, it was entertaining, and I didn't have. I'm not like one of those historical, like I know exactly what happened and this is how it happened. I'm just like, it was interesting to see all the characters I thought really well portrayed, you know, and I related to, they all were kind of, um, you know, characters I'm familiar with in the music, Mm -hmm. the manager, you know, Malcolm was definitely like, you know, his own raconteur and, uh, and his wife and like how all these different, you know, pieces of culture, and uh, the terrible times in London at the time and, and just how fucked up that country was and how many people were suffering and, and just like people wanting to escape out of that. And they would do anything and did do anything. Yeah. Kudos um, to Danny Boyle for, 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 for being so adamant about, about providing context, right? <laughs> because all of this shit happened. I can't even do the math in 1975. And like um, it's, 
it's it's it was an important detail because it's 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 important for people to understand what was going on in the world when the Sex Pistols became a thing. You know, it's 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 one of those things. It's just it's just a given now. Mm-hmm. It's like Coca Cola. Yeah. Um. So it was great that that he spent so much time. You know, like cutting to doing B cuts to stuff on television at the time and like people that were big on TV and movie stars and, and just shit that was going on at the time. I thought that was great. Yeah. And the poverty. newsreels, uh, newsreels of, you know, people waiting up, waiting for the dole and all that stuff. Poverty, race riots, all the shit going on in England. That yeah. None of I'm sure none of them wanted to talk about, but, uh, and all yep. the, you know, the bureaucracy, I'm much like that was going on here in the States too. But, and I think this was all based on, uh, Steve Jones's autobiography is kind of what the, the, it gave credit to in the end and just adapted as such. And um, yeah, he wrote a book called lonely boy um, several years ago and it's based on that book. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. I, I highly recommend it. I really liked it a lot. And um, kind of in the context of music, mindfulness and madness, there was a lot of madness and there was a whole lot of music, you know, it was just like pushing through him. Even Steve Jones wasn't that great of a guitar player and he really had to like, he did a bunch of drugs stayed up for like what a week to like learn how to do this thing because he had had he kind of fell down in front of a bunch of people playing music he just like he he chickened out he just got was totally terrified which was some of my early remembrances of playing music where i'm like i can't do it that's when my brain was telling me it's like i wanted to so desperately for some sort of like pat on the head or some some expression was trying to move through me to get out and uh, so as I was watching him, I'm like, oh, man, I remember that for me. So I totally related to that. And then all the characters in it were just like in, in any sort of music scene. There's always these characters that are out and about that um, really make and, and inform the scene. And I love that about this movie. Just very colorful and um, unbelievable for me, because like it's kind of like I know all those people. They're just, you know, all the the Los Angeles version of that from like, you know, 10 years after that, it was just like, you know, oh, this is crazy. And it is crazy. Yes. So I feel like we could, we could spend a lot of time talking about that. So, so for you, Michael, like, as you were watching it, were, what were the moments that, that, that you saw that were like, oh yeah, I've been through that. Before. Oh yeah. Fuck. That's, that's, I have, I've been in that situation or I've done that. And like, what was that situation? And, and um, like, what were the things like that that jumped out at you specifically? Because I had a lot of that, too. Oh, I think, you know, the terror of being offered opportunities or demanding an opportunity. You're like, this is my thing. We're doing this. You know, where you're like, you know, tip of the spear. And then you step on stage and it's like, oh, shit, I'm fucked. I don't know how to do this. That's kind of most of my musical career. It's just like reaching for things that are beyond my grasp. And I don't know why. I don't know where that comes from. Maybe it's uh, ambition or just wanting appreciation or attention or whatever, but like just reaching beyond. I, that's, I saw that through the whole film, even even to, uh, you know, when Steve Jones was stealing stuff like Grand Theft style, uh, he just he wanted a way out. You know, he was looking for some relief and some thrills. Clearly, it was all thrill seeking as well as, you know, I got to pay the rent. I got to eat. Like we're going to starve if we don't do something, even if it means stealing and kind of demanding what they say and bringing their own personalities to it. So I, I don't know, just sort of that background of 
desperate bravado, bravado, you know, uh, very like cowboy style, but for England, you know. Yeah, I, I think there is an aspect of this that uh, uh, is is worth diving into a little bit, particularly oh. about rock movies or these kind of musician or artist movies in general. But uh, it should take we'll take a step back for a second. So uh, you know, Pistol is like a six or seven part miniseries on on Hulu. At least that's where I watched it that, that Danny Boyle put together and and directed. And uh, it is. More or less, um, as as you guys were saying, based on um, uh, Steve Jones's uh, autobiography. But like any, uh, it is not a documentary. It is uh, it is a dramatic and at times comedic miniseries, and it does take more than a few liberties with some of the facts. Uh, it is also worth noting that, despite the fact that uh, John Lydon, aka Johnny Rotten, is the lead singer of the Sex Pistols. Uh, perhaps not surprisingly, he distanced himself from this entire project early on, um, sued the other members of the Sex Pistols because he didn't want it made. He put a statement up on his website about it uh, based on the trailer that said, we were originally led to believe Pistol was the Steve Jones story, not a Sex Pistol story. Going by the trailer, it doesn't seem to be the case. John's likeness is clearly being used to sell this series, a series he was not involved in and was put together behind his back, putting words in John's mouth and rewriting history, a middle-class fantasy. Disney have stolen the past and created a fairy tale which bears little resemblance to the truth. Yeah. It would be funny, wasn't tragic. That, that, that all sounds to me like he never actually saw it. Well, because I, because he, Steve Jones is, it, it, it is the Steve Jones show, if you watch the show. At the end of the day, it's true. It's the Steve Jones show. I, I don't disagree, and it certainly puts Steve Jones' uh, role in putting the band together and driving it. Um, it. You know, puts him in the center in a way that most people think, "Oh, well, Steve and Paul were just sort of standing in the back, and it was all about uh, John and 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 Sid." Uh, but but the thing I want to highlight here is that it's it's also very difficult to tell that story without talking about. Uh, John Lydon, oh, yeah. and he he does play a significant yeah. role, dramatically and otherwise in it. But as and, as he is basically, and by the way, it's not surprising. His portrayal, the portrayal of John Lydon was was pretty fucking good in my mind. To me, well, I, I, I think it's it's a, you from know, a, from a tra- I'm simply I'm simply noting that you know it might might have been fine yeah. from a dramatic perspective, but from Lydon's perspective, he's like this is not accurate, oh. and he was against the project, right? Yeah, there's so I'm I'm mostly just noting that, yeah. and it's sort of not surprising because he's he's been cranky about this stuff, but he did go so far as to sue the other people in the band, uh, basically not wanting this thing to get made, mm. and um, he he lost that legal battle, and he didn't want to license the band's music for inclusion, so yeah. Um, at any rate, he he all he had he, uh, Rotten time, had also it's not the first time he's done something like that either. By the way. Yeah, he, he uh, John Lydon told The Guardian, uh, this project is dead set against everything we once stood for. The only thing you've got of value in your life and you're going to cheapen that because you want an extra fiver, not much of a human being there. No. <laughs> and then he goes on and he says, it's karaoke, really. The voices, the way they're talking, it sounds like a bunch of kids from Tring all discussing the latest calamities. That ain't it at all. It's so off. Um, and of course, Danny Boyle was thrilled 
He said he wanted Leiden to attack it and said that he wouldn't expect the singer to change the habits of Yeah, it. I mean, I'm sure that, that, that him and Jones, he probably talked about this, and they, said, they were like, oh, he's going to do this no matter what. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now, all that said, as I, as I mentioned, it, it is a dramatic series. It rearranges some elements, synthesizes some characters, moves some facts around, et cetera, to create something that uh, has a bit of a dramatic arc and structure, at least from from my viewing of it. It's more or less mm-hmm. loosely, each episode is kind of loosely based around the creation or themes of one of the songs from Nevermind the Bollocks, Here's the Sex Pistols. Uh, and it sort of tells the story of, uh, of the band coming together. Before we get into what we you know, liked and didn't like about it and the themes and stuff, one of the things I guess I would say is that I sort of saw it as a mixed bag. I think that um, it looked a little too slick at times uh, that the... Um, it, it, it looked like a modern show a little bit more than really capturing the kind of griminess of the, the crushing poverty of, of uh, London at the time, as opposed to, say, something like Life on Mars, which I thought did a, a pretty good job of, of capturing that. Um, and uh, I feel like, uh, you know, the actors did a fine job. They were all charismatic, et cetera. Um, in general, I also felt that the show was trying pretty hard to align itself with contemporary values, which is probably essential for a show uh, to, to get made like that. Yeah. Um, but on, on balance, it was entertaining and it did touch on a couple of truths about being in a band and being in a band that you're starting up and trying to be a creative person. <clears throat> yeah, big old bag of personalities, you know, especially, you know, when you have drugs involved and poverty, like severe poverty, um, I can't imagine. I haven't actually been, you know, lived in that sort of condition. So thankfully, but uh, I can definitely relate to the personalities, especially a manager with an agenda for a band, you know, that, sure. uh, which I think you need, but can you get into alignment and stay in alignment with that is like always a, a slippery slope. It's, you know, like any kind of personalities, especially, you know, what we know about the super ambitious, you know, Malcolm, um, and his wife, you know, and, and their relationship was really interesting, too, and how that all came together, you know, to exploit the band, exploit the the fashion and sort of the statements of the punk rock movement uh, or statements, I should say, as they were being crafted. You know, it was really like a total uh, nasty rebellion happening in the midst of all that sort of poverty. And yet some of them were doing really well, you know, either by hook or by crook. So, um yeah, well, it's it's interesting because, you know, in some ways, McLaren is the guy who created the band. They were almost like the anti-monkeys in yeah. a way, right? Um, like a boy? And there are plenty I was, of good books you can read read about punk rock and the Pistols history as well. And we'll put some of those in. I was uh, talking to somebody about this, and maybe, maybe it was you, Michael. I can't remember who I was talking to about it right after I saw it. And, they, and, and I was when I was describing the, talking about the story, Someone said, someone, the person I was talking to said, so, so basically they were a boy band. I went, yeah, yeah, pretty much. They were a boy band. I mean, they were a boy band. Uh, They were uh, uh, three guys and Malcolm McLaren found them, kicked two of the guys out, found, found three more guys that were more boy band appropriate for like, you know, heavily quoted. Like Sid. I mean, they originally wanted Sid as the singer because, you know, Vivian was like, you know, he's beautiful. He's beautiful. You know, like just this whole thing. Right. And I went, oh, 
you know, and all the influences on being in a project. I mean, any kind of artistic project, but especially with bands where uh, someone else is kind of sort of in charge and funding it and uh, like a record label, you know, record label, if they're, you know, spending money on you, they're going to have a say in how their money gets spent. And the artists can like kick and scream all they want. But it's like, I, I thought you believed in me. And it's like, we do all the way to the bank on our terms uh-huh. because it's their money, you know? So like trying to be in this, in this artistic world these days where you're creating by yourself, like, you know, the three of us do, we like create records and, you know, we don't, we're not taking money from anyone else to do this stuff for better or for worse. You know, and I've done that before. I was signed to a, a small record label, uh, signed as kind of, you know, they just really wanted to hop on, you know, the energy that was going on with the band. And then Atlantic Records got a hold of it. And like, they had a whole agenda going on. And we we're just like, no, no, no. And to wh- whatever degree we were able to continue to steer it in our direction, it didn't last that long. Because anyway, that was that regime at that label at that time fell apart, you know, six weeks after we signed our contract and we were all let go us and a couple hundred other amazing bands and labels. So, you know, all that sort of extraneous stuff that can uh, affect your career and your trajectory is just like, it's kind of out of your control. Um, And it's really about like, am I paying attention and what am I doing about it? And with it, you know, like there's some stuff artistically that, you know, I'm sure we would like even this podcast. So there's some stuff that I, as we talked about sponsors and things like that, we're like, there's a whole bunch of shit that we're just clear. Like, that's not for us. We don't want any of that influence or sort of, you know, money at all. Who's our sponsor again, Anu? Speaking of sponsors. <laughs> Instacart. Instacart. You can order Sex Pistols documentaries. Yes. Copies of the Sex Pistols album, Sex Pistols t-shirts, other merchandise, from many stores on Instacart. Get your groceries or your smart drinks in 30 minutes. Uh, Instacart. We've got a link <laughs> on our website. I love it. Malcolm would Use be proud. Mindfulmadness.com slash Instacart. Great. Operators are standing by. Yeah. And, and you can get a sense from the documentary about how uh, McLaren's ideas about revolution and upending the world are also kind of conflated or confused or balled up with his uh hucksterism oh sure um yeah. you know uh, the, the, the part the that other I... thing that's worth noting go ahead sorry i was just gonna say well we, we touched a bit on the poverty but it's also hard for people many many people who are younger than us to understand that the sort of dire state of the big cities of the world in the mid-70s and particularly london uh was in a, a it was a real bad time over Very there, to say time. the least, unless you were extraordinarily wealthy. Yeah. And uh, in, in the timeline that this is covering, basically the the pistols are all in their late teens. They're pretty much all living at home if they have a home to live in uh, or while they have a home to live in um, with their parents in these sort of dingy little flats. And there's no, no way out for any of them, right? They're staring down... Um, basically going to work in factories and things like that if they're lucky. And uh, Steve Jones isn't just stealing for crime purposes. One of the things that's a bit revelatory about the show is it starts off with him already a musician, already wanting to have a band, which is all true. He, he had a band. He was just the singer initially. And there's this true story about him stealing, to connect it to a previous episode we did, stealing some of Bowie's equipment from the Ziggy uh, tour. <laughs> 
which um, he actually that, did. That's what it started. He with. talked about. Yeah, he, which he, talked which about he many actually times did. in interviews. Yeah, recreate some some uh, some famous scenes there. But um, I I think for these these kids, I'm not even sure if they knew what they wanted to do. They just they loved music and they wanted to make something that was theirs. I don't know how much making money was a part of it, but whatever they were doing, it was going to be more interesting than going to work down at the docks or in the factory or just uh, collecting unemployment. Um, and, and I do think that the film does a pretty good job of capturing the dynamics of the sort of different sets of parents that they have. Yeah, I like that too. Um, there was, there was yeah. a lot of, um, there was a lot of revelations for me within that thing, having seen like so many, Docs and so so many things about the history of punk and 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 seeing the filth of the fury a gazillion times. Paul Cook had really nice parents. It was well, it was I, almost again, like it was. I mean, it was it was almost like Leave It to Beaver. Like you know, Steve Jones called called his mom Mrs. C and like Happy Days. It's really. I, I think that this is the sort of thing that is amplified and and polished a bit for dramatic purposes, right? This is something that a lot of modern writing often does, where it's like, well. We're trying to make a point here. So Paul Cook's family, who were probably nice people, we're going to turn them into sort of a quintessential example of what supportive, strong parents should right. be. And this other person's parents, well, they're the mirror. They have to be the mirror image. It's all this kind of like typing and mirroring. And yeah, and they're, they're, they're clearly a, doing a lot of stuff. One of the things I found was a little bit hacky about the show. There's a lot of things like that. So, I mean, when I first saw it, I, I, I told people, you know, it's probably the most factual thing that I've seen. Uh, about their story and 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 i and um i i went i think i told michael this story i i i, I so i've been trying to find some a new person to, to cut my hair and um the last time i got i found some i found somebody and went to this person for the first time i think i'd just seen pistol and uh i made the mistake of saying something to that effect and this person hadn't seen hadn't even seen it had read some reviews about it and went no 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 the the details are right i'm like well yeah, the details aren't right, but the just they're they're bringing to the surface a lot of aspects about the story that that are true. That they 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 uh, Danny Boyle and and, and Steve Jones with Steve within Steve Jones's book, however, worked out told some stories that it, that had kind of been touched on in interviews, but were never really never really discussed. Like the, were never really presented the way that they're presented in in that documentary. Um, Steve Jones, like I learned a lot of stuff about Steve Jones. Steve Jones uh, suffered some horrible abuse at the hand of his stepfather, and and then and, and we get to see like in the first episode all of the things that 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 kind of and this is this kind of gets into the mental health aspect of it too, right? Um, he uh, stealing was was in part him acting out as as, as a result of of things that the trauma the trauma that that he went through as a kid. And then he, and then you know he he's talked about this too himself, in 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 other in other forums. He he's very very hypersexual, and all of these things were probably the result of, of childhood trauma. I, I I there's people in my family who um, have have this this issue with shoplifting and stealing for for similar reasons. So so that resonated with me a lot. Um, that they they did collapse. You know, so some details of, of, of their story, they did um, the things like like the way Glenn Matlock left the band was not that Steve kicking him out was that's not actually how it happened. Uh, this whole thing with Nancy, when, when they, they tried to 
dope up Nancy, take her to an airport. That didn't actually happen that way. So, but but the the, the thing the thing I wanted to come back around to was they uh, Chrissy Hine was in it pretty prominently. Now, sure. Chrissy Hine, yes, yeah, she worked at the sex shop, but she wasn't really there that much. Uh, and you can tell that it, that she was she was in there for for contrast more than anything. They didn't want to. They, they clearly did not want want the story to be about a bunch of dudes doing dude stuff. So, um, and and Steve Jones and Chrissy Hine did have a thing. Uh, you know, he talks about it in the book. He's talked about it in interviews, and she's pretty prominent in it. But it, you can tell that it's it's more out of well, we need we need to have we need to have some contrast. We need we need we need some female representation. And Chrissy Hine, I mean, what yeah, better exactly. female representation than Chrissy Hine? Right. Yeah, and she was sort of a Zelig figure uh, or Forrest Gump kind of figure that was there at Very the time much so. and knew everybody and was involved with a lot of people, but. I got the sense that it was sort of like, well, the only way we're going to get this made, it can't be a movie about four white guys. Like, her, you know, right. <laughs> we got exactly. to pull some other people in there. And and I didn't mind that so much. It's just that, again, like, these are some of the elements that made it feel like a construction, um, you know, at, at times. And, and that was one of the things I found frustrating is like, I, I don't insist on something like this, a dramatization of real events of being true. Because as at, we're artists, we've talked about this on yep. the show. Sometimes the best way to get at the truth is through lying or embellishing or exaggeration or rearranging things, right? The truth is sometimes boring and messy. Yeah. And if you're trying to make something that's artistic, I think what you're actually striving for is, does it feel true? And yes. if there is one success that Pistol has, it's that most of the time it feels, it very feels true. true. It feels very true. It, it and feels they reveal a lot often. of things that 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 hadn't really been talked about or discussed in other yeah. videos. If if I were to fault it, it's that occasionally the constructed nature of it, like how they amplify the family characteristics or things like, oh, we gotta we gotta pull Chrissy Hind in here more as a kind of um uh, Greek chorus or right. uh, additional center for the film to rotate around felt a little um, uh, awkward. It did. It felt like they were, it, 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 did. it made, it made it feel more like a show and, and less like the truth yeah. at times. But um, that, that said, there are, we all have to make concessions to get things released. This is a, a commercial thing that's getting made. And if that helps more people see it or watch it so much, the better. Um, I felt the same way about sort of the way that they were talking about the relationship between Malcolm McLaren and uh, and Vivian. Yeah. Um, there was a little bit of like, okay, well, we're going to construct and amplify this. And the other thing that I kind of like, to, to some degree, it's inevitable when you're making a, a show like this, but um, it was a little bit like, well, how many times have we seen this show? Uh, the like, scrappy young kids who are desperate and have no other alternatives, but they've got something, man. I've never heard anything like that. These kids are really talented and then they blow up and then they blow up. So it's almost like, it's almost like, like you could almost, you could take it all the way back to the, to the little rascals. Hey, Hey, let's do Let's put on a show on the barn. Yeah. You know? But, but you know, how, how many of these uh, behind the music, type shows do you have to see before you're like, hmm, I bet I know how this goes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, you know, that said, I think it's worth digging into some of the things that we we found to be really true or really accurate. There's One of the things I say is I've seen a bunch of these, like I'm a sucker for a good rock and roll movie, whether it's fictionalized or the truth. And and maybe towards the end, we can talk about the Slits documentary that I just watched. Oh, Slits documentary. Yeah, I've but, seen it. Um, it's great. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, in some ways. In some ways. In some ways. It's a, in some ways. <laughs> but... 
but uh, I'm, I'm always a sucker for these movies, uh, particularly if they're trying to get into what it's like to get a band going and what it's like to be in a band. And, and there are a couple of things I think Pistol really nails here. Um, for one thing, it, it does manage to capture at times that terrible hunger to do something, to make something when your abilities aren't quite there yet, but you have the drive, you have the fire right? You don't know how to play. You don't know what you're doing, but oh my God, do you want to write a song? And not just a song. You want to write a song that's going to change the world or set the world on fire. Um, that I think it, it, it captures very well. The frustration of wrestling with an instrument in the early days when you really don't know what you're yeah, doing. That was really uh, and by the way, kids, you are not going to learn how to play the guitar by staying up for 48 hours on, <laughs> on amphetamines. Well, I, not I, how that I, works. I kind of have a story about that. Um, <laughs> well, so, so that, that, that tell, tell us your story then D. I, uh, I, 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 I should, uh, in the interest of this forum, leave, leave certain details out, but there, that when I first, uh, that, that whole thing with him, uh, you know, spent, spending five days straight to learn how to play no fun and just learning how to play guitar. I, I have a story like that. When, so when X-Photo, when X-Photo started as a band, I was playing drums, uh, with, so, um, the, the, the scene, the, the, the scene that X-Photo came out of was what there was this, there was this collective of people from, from Garden Grove. There was this Garden Grove punk contingent. And there were a few bands that, that came out of that, 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 that neck of the woods. Uh, there was a band called Dead Skin that, that uh, that enjoyed a little bit of success at the time, you know, locally. Uh, there were a few bands before that. There was a band called the Inlanders. There was a punk band called uh, the Nobodies uh, that all got to play, uh, you know, shows around Orange County and stuff. And um, Larry uh, was was a part of that scene, and and I kind of got I got I got pulled into that scene by proxy. Uh, because I started playing drums with with a couple of the guys that were in a band called The Slam, uh, the singer of whom uh, wrote some songs for the adolescents, this guy, Jim Hausman. Um, and I started playing in, in a punkabilly band with them. Um, long story short, I I, I, uh, I I started playing in a band with Larry that, that existed before Exphoto <laughs> that, comp- that was comprised of some members of, a, uh, of what would become Exphoto, this band called Primal Dream. And um, when he started Exvoto, uh, he had this idea of, of starting a band. He had just got he just bought a drum machine. He bought a drumulator. I think you and I talked about this on which was which was uh, no mean feat in those days because the, they, they, when they came out, they retailed for like a grand, and that was a grand in like nineteen eighty four dollars. Nobody had that kind of fucking money, but but it was the first affordable drum machine. The only thing that you could get up to that point, I think, there was the Lindrum. And, and maybe one other thing, like maybe the Oberheim DX might have been out or something like that. But the, the Drumulator was the first kind of affordable drum machine. It was like everything else was five grand at that point. This thing was a grand. Larry bought one. <laughs> so we had this idea of starting a band with a drum machine. And he started talking to me about it. And I said, I said that's a fucking great idea. Now, this was right around the time that Purple Rain came out. And it was the first time that I, I saw the thing that, that really... Uh, one of the biggest things that jumped out with me with Purple Rain was 
oh, this guy's doing this shit with a drum machine and he's pulling it off. And it sounds great. Like he's actually doing a compelling live show. Um, and, and yes, he's got a drummer, but the drummer's not really doing much. The drummer, the drummer's just pressing play and, and then, and then doing it, you know, embellishing the percussion to a four on the floor. But the, the thing that, that immersed me was like, oh, he's doing this with a drum machine and he's, and he's, and he's pulling it off and it sounds really fucking great. And so when Larry said that he wanted to do something like that, I said that I think that's a fucking great idea. I think you should do it. Um, I helped him. Uh, I helped us get our first show. We got a show opening for Jesus and the Mary Chain. And uh, af- when when I did that, and and when we started playing together, it was uh, for me. It was on the premise of look, uh, I can help bootstrap this, but I'm still pretty loyal to the guys in the other band. The band I play drums in. I'm going to go back and play with them. I hope that's a, yeah, just. So you, I hope you guys understand. And he was like, "Yeah, totally cool." <coughs> so, I went back to playing drums in this band that I was in after after playing a few shows with Expono. Um, fast forward about two years later, I came back. Now, by by the time I came back, they had been playing with a real guitar player, and I was playing guitar in Expono, but. Um, I, I was I was almost doing it begrudgingly. It, it was me playing guitar in that band, uh, just kind of playing on this on uh, on the Steve Jones theme. I was a drummer. I was not a fucking guitar player, but Larry knew I had a guitar, <coughs> and um, he just he liked me. He he just he liked uh, he just <laughs> knew that that we had the same ideas about music, and and that was enough for him. You know, he, but I don't know how else to say it. Like. He, he knew that we we spoke the same language and that and 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 to his credit and and uh, I, you know can't thank him enough um, uh, he saw something in me that he was one of the people in my life that, that saw something in me that I didn't that, that he thought I could do things that I didn't think I could do so I, I taught I, I taught myself how to play guitar I, I, I figured out some parts for for the the, the, the first batch of X photo stuff that we did. Uh, with some heavy direction from Larry. By the time I got back, and by the time uh, I came back to the band, now they had a, they had a real guitar player, and, and they had a real guitar player playing for them for a couple of years. So so now I'm I'm auditioning. I'm not just coming back into the band. I'm auditioning because it's uh, Larry. Larry asked me to ask if I you know I'd be down to 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 do something. And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. But, but it was, you know, there, there was that unsaid thing where like, you know, you're really kind of auditioning because you're going to have to be able to play the parts that, 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 that's, that this other guy played, who is a real guitar player. Um, <laughs> he's a real boy. He's a real boy. I was, I, you know, I'd been playing drums and I, and I really wasn't playing guitar much. I, I played enough to be dangerous to help start the band, kind of like the Sex Pistols. Um, but uh, I was it was I was now tasked with not only coming back into the fold, but learning all the parts this other guy played, who was a real fucking guitar player, and I was going to have to teach myself that stuff. Um, so I went and played with them one night, and uh, it did not go well. They they were like, eh, it's it's okay, but it, 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 in a roundabout way, it was basically said, <coughs> here's a tape. They, they said, they said, okay, that kind of went well, but here, here's the tape of the stuff. Uh, go learn this stuff and, uh, we'll, we'll try to rehearse again in, I, I think it was like a week, maybe two weeks. Um, 
I was living with my sister at the time in Costa Mesa, and, and I did a version of what Steve Jones did. I locked myself in my room for, for two weeks, uh, only letting myself out to go to work, and, and played that tape front to back several hundred times and and taught myself how to play those parts and and showed up showed up at that practice and i was ready so so all of that stuff kind of resonated with me and, it, and it, i had to learn how to play this stuff that like i had no i had like he was playing riffs that that i, I couldn't even wrap my head around like i just had to play them over and over and just like pick out notes and then and just kept kept doing things with my fingers and i didn't even know really what i was doing but I just kind of figured out how to make shapes, make shapes on the fretboard that that made sense to me, that that seemed to match what I heard coming coming out of the speakers, and uh, and I got back in the band. So yeah, um, there's a will, there's a way. Kind of a similar story, yeah. And it was it was it was the same kind of situation. I I was trying to get out of the situation that I was in. I was not in it in a in a great living situation. I was pretty burnt out with playing drums with, with the guys I was playing with at the time. Um, uh, direction wise, it, things were kind of stagnating and I wanted to, to drag things in a, in a direction that they didn't want to go in. Uh, and I, and Larry was my ticket out. So yeah. I just, just did what I had to do to make it work. You know, and, it, it, and so, so when I saw that, that whole thing with Steve Jones, that, that really resonated with me. I think there was one other thing that jumped out about this movie too. I mean, he touched on, um, movie show it it touched on a mental illness you know like polystyrene and uh i saw her daughter's documentary too about sort of growing up inside of all that and uh oh the bodies episode that wasn't that wasn't polly so polly's in in the show but that's not polly that wasn't polly who was that that's that's a different woman that's a woman uh they he had uh Lydon actually says her name in the song Bodies, her uh, Polly Trigatry or something like that. It's a different Polly. Oh, I thought it now, was now, Pauline. It's not her. Now, Pauline is, Polly uh, Styrene is in the show. She's in the next episode. Remember the two girls that, that walk into sex and they say, you know, we want you to change our yes. lives? The, the African-American girl, that's Polly. Oh, see how confusing? I'm just telling my own story yeah. in my head. I could have carried that on forever. No, it is confusing. I <laughs> well, mean, but I, it was, it, you know, in a some way, some of that's confusing nice. by design. It's confusing by design. It was, kind of, it was kind of nice in a way that Danny Boyle, like, the first time I watched it, it, it took me a minute to figure out that that this person uh, sitting behind the counter at sex was Chrissy Hine. They just, they just call her Chrissy. You know, it takes. Yeah, the, they sort of slide that in, and and it's one of those things that, like, if you don't know. It, 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 it's one of those, I think to give it some some credit, cleverly designed in that if you do know the story and you do know who these people are supposed to be, there's this like, oh, that's so and so, oh, that's so and so. And if you don't, there are these little like joyful bombs. I think one of the things that they actually didn't really do a, a big service with that uh, that character is that if you don't know who Chrissy Hind is and if you don't know who the pretenders are, her whole arc loses so much of oh you would you could you could go through that passion. entire show and not even know yeah it it, it basically she it, she's like oh well this seems like this is a girl who knows how to play the guitar better than any of the guys in the band huh that's yeah. interesting instead of instead of recognize yeah. like i'll tell you what there's somebody who should have a documentary or dramatic oh, yeah. movie or series made about absolutely absolutely 
what a story that one. Yeah, yeah. amazing. Um, I mean, yeah, know, growing up, growing up, uh, going to Kent State with the Devo guys when the National Guard was there, etc. Like you said, uh, she's, she's kind I, of a Zelig. I, I digress. She's, no, she she is. I mean, Zelig is is a, is a really good description. She's she's just kind of was everywhere in history, in a way. Yeah, and and she um, really, really, really wanted to be in a band. Um, sort of like the the guys in the in the pistols did, or at least some of the guys in the pistols. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and we, and it was I and it was cool losing... to see. I mean, a lot of the stuff that she was going through. It, it... Go ahead, Michael. Well, I was going to say, you know, as being a woman too, they sort of started to touch on that stuff, but then they also, you know, sort of sexified a whole bunch of that stuff too, which I'm sure, you know, may or may not have been sort of accurate, but like, um, I was about to I say the know. same thing. It was kind of nice that they, that they, that they, uh, uh, touched on the fact that she was a woman in a, in a man's world trying yeah, to start a band and, and, and kept getting shot down. Yeah. And I love, the, I love the toughness of all the women in there too, you know, Vivian Westwood and like the girls who worked on the shop and they were all just like, you know, tooth and nail fire. Like if you fucked with them, they just fucked you right back. They're just like, Oh, go fuck yourself. You know, like get out and like, and they did whatever they wanted to do in a time where with all the poverty going on, it was kind of like, that was probably the last thing on the police's mind is like trying to, you know, police these, these women who are just expressing themselves with uh, fashion and music and like trying to break into like the boys club at the time. And like, I thought it was really, that was inspiring. My, you know, my girlfriend also said that too. She said she really liked to see all those female faces and like the characters that we sort of kind of had a sense of, cause you know, I wasn't in the punk scene, you know, I sort of like adjacent, you know, I sort of snuck in the bathroom window of punk rock and like have all these punk rock friends and played in some bands that were played punk rock, but it was like, I wasn't part of that scene, you know, let alone being in, in Britain at the time, you know, and also the sort of ex punk rock exchange, you know, when the, uh, the Ramones went over there and played. They were really like the seed and everyone went, oh, shit, this is for me, you know? And like all of a sudden the Sex Pistols came out of that and like, you know, you could trace that all the way back to the Ramones. And I don't I don't know if there's any good Ramones documentary. Speaking of, a, you know, a band that should be like paid tribute to hugely because they really like laid the foundation for a lot of this stuff as well. There's there's um, end of the century, which is is OK. It's not. Yeah, it's not great. I mean, I mean, it it'd be nice if somebody did something on the scale of pistol for them. I agree, it'd be cool. Yeah, and they they um, probably, they probably get it wrong too. You know, just a bunch of the haircuts and the, <laughs> and the leather jackets. It's like might be a little too corny, but like, what a great fucking band they are too. Um, yeah, unrelent unrelenting, just like they just did their thing, and like that was it. And I like that about the Sex Pistols too, but it was just like the conflict of being in a band I really related to in it and the personalities and just like the drug abuse and alcohol and all that stuff and the sex. And it was just like, oh my God, what a mess. And yet somehow something huge emerged and kind of changed, you know, the culture for better or for worse. And like, I'm, I'm just, I'm happy that they were around. I did. I remember I had a buddy in high school who was like super into the Sex Pistols and punk rock. And I was like, I don't understand, you know, because all I had was the visual. And he goes, oh, let's go to my car. Let's play some stuff. And he played me some Sex Pistols. And I went, oh. And I had that aha moment of like, shit, this world is so huge musically. And, uh, you know, just really all those moments along the way that change your mind where someone intervenes 
And all of a sudden, you know, like my buddy Tony, who was I was in a band a long time ago with, and he sort of like was trying to put together his own thing. And he's like, you need to be we need a bass player here. Do you have a bass? Like we can get you a bass. It was one of those things where like it was forced. And I'm just like, sure. I had nothing else going on. And I, I had the sense that, you know, I wanted to be playing rock and roll music. And so, you know, you put on the old Capizios and you put on your stretchy pants and tease your hair up and like, who's with me? And then you're out passing out flyers on the Sunset Strip. And I'm just like, yep, this is so exciting and bonkers. And like, what am I doing? I had no time to think about like, what does my legacy look like? It's just like, you're just doing what you're doing. Probably super high and drunk, you know, doing all that stuff. And uh, sure, wild stories, but also like, you know, that's that's sort of what, a little bit of nostalgia for like if you've ever been in any sort of scene whatsoever feel like you were scene adjacent you know where you're trying to be included or you want to but you're not sure and like too risky or like this is going to be embarrassing and it's just like i think the the background of that picture um with all the poverty and like you know the raconteurs and all that stuff really like spoke to me i'm like yeah that's kind of how life happens there's you can't really there was no sort of like roadmap, like you're just creating it as you go and you're looking for signposts and you have to have an agenda and a voice, I think, you know, whether it's Malcolm's voice and then each of the people in the band started to find their own voice, kind of like, you know, the monkeys and all that stuff, too, or sort of like put together. But they're all like, wait a minute, Nesmith, especially he's like, I'm a proper musician and a songwriter here. Like, I want to say in this shit. And, um, you know, that's I got a lot of that out of the, the pistol thing, too, and just. You know, and all the background of, you know, the madness of people and also, uh, you know, child abuse and like all the all the stuff that they grew up with or, you know, or didn't grow up with. And like how, you know, how did he what's his name find his way to the band, you know, when he had like great parents and a sort of a great situation. And then everyone else is just like, you know, bloodthirsty, basically, you know, like trying to make. Yeah. So anyway, it was it was curious. I, I really liked I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that this that, that this is one of those scenes, you know, just knowing how these things are written, that where it's like uh, events were collapsed and certain things, certain aspects of it didn't exactly go down the way they went down. But I really enjoyed the scene where they came in to Malcolm's office to sign that EMI contract. And, and the anarchist was there with, you know, the anarchist was there to talk about like things they were going to do for marketing. Yes. And, and how Malcolm was throwing around, like he was kind of bringing it into the 21st century. Like, and he probably did, wasn't using words like this, but, you know, much like what you were saying on, you're just like, they were doing things to make it modern, but you know that they probably weren't using those kinds of words like brand. Like we want to get the brand out. We want it. We want to make the brand and upset, you know, he kept throwing around terms that are like very, very 21st century vernacular, not, not probably not the kind of language that would have been used at the time, but, I just thought it was interesting that, you know, the anarchist was in the room and then he had his assistant in there and, uh, and then they start talking about the contract and uh, Matt Glenn Matlock goes, Hey, what's this um, company that the checks written out to? I love that. I was like, Oh, it, it, it was like, for me, it was an epiphany. Just like thinking about the music business, like everything you're talking about, Michael was like, you know, you hit, you, I, I've, I've seen, again, I've seen a million things about the Sex Pistols. I've just listened to them pr prattle on and on about how much of an asshole Malcolm was, about how he ripped them off. But you never hear anybody talk about how he ripped them off. And when I saw that, it was like, 
oh, that's how he did it. He set up, he set up a little company. He set up a little LLC. And, and then, and then there's a girl in the room like it describes. It was like, okay, this is how, he, this is how he's going to fuck you guys over. <laughs> like she basically says it. It's, yeah. he, he set up a company to, to he set up a company and then, and then signed everything, did, did all the legalese under the purview of the company, got them to sign. But the, the, the thing that I, that, that I got to thinking about is that he must not have been, he must not have made them partners in that LLC and just, and, and, and set things up to where he could control the money, all the money funneled through this, this, this LLC that he set up. Yeah. And then he started giving him 20 bucks a week. And he was like, that's what you guys are going to get. I love that conversation. Cause that was like, so, I mean, you know, I mean, you guys know, like that's so much like so many conversations I've had with record people. Yeah. Cause well, he, you know, cause the artists are living in hope that you might, it, yeah, the artists are living in hope, you know, like it's all we're going to be taken care of, you know, our parents didn't take care of us. Yeah, and like, well, like you said, like, it was like, like, well, they didn't fucking care. They just wanted out. They were just like, fuck it. Give, give me the goddamn pen. I, I want out. I yeah, want no, the fuck nobody, out. Nobody thought that they were going to build something that was bigger lasting. And having been right. in in that metaphorical office multiple times in my life, the first time it usually happens, you're too young to know any better. Yeah. Yes. Um, right. And the second time it happens or third time it happens, you recognize that the likelihood of there being any money at all is basically zero. So what's the point of being fussy about it? Um, and, you know, at one point you're also like, well, do I want the deal or not? Because it's like, it's either this shitty deal or no deal. Uh, right. I agree that that was one of the better parts of it. And it was quite telling, of course, that uh, it was uh, one of, not one of the, the uh, more front person-y people in the band that was pointing that out. I, I also thought that one of the things that this show really got right was the idea that like the personalities of the people in the band tend to matter more than their actual music, musical abilities. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is something that I think is hard for people who aren't musicians to understand. And frankly, it's hard for some musicians to understand. It's like you can look at a bunch of famous duos that Apparently, at one point, one person looks over at the other and goes, what is it that you do here? <laughs> yeah. You know, and then they break up. Right. And the person goes solo and something's missing from their music, even if it's just while well, the other guy stood in the back and played guitar and said, oh, I like that bit or whatever. Like there's plenty of instances of bands that kick out one member who doesn't seem to be doing very much. But it's like pulling a part out of a radio or a television or a computer, and it just doesn't work quite the same ever again. I thought this was one of the things that they got really like of of all of the the Sex Pistols. Glenn Matlock was basically the only guy who knew how to play. Yes, he was a oh, yes. better musician than basically all of the rest yep. of them put together. Yep, and um, you know, and got shit for, about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like disrespected yes. about it. Like that was somehow a bad thing. And he was treated as sort of like the Pete Best of the, the pistols for for many years. But he has gone on to have a pretty solid gig playing with a whole bunch of people and eventually had a kind of a reconciliation with the surviving members of, of the Sex Pistols. But that said, it's also pretty clear, not just from this dramatization, but from everything else you read that like, he wasn't quite the right guy for what the band was trying to yeah. do um, on, on a number of levels. Yes, yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. 
And, and, and I don't know about you guys, but I have had, had to deal with that many times. And I would argue that the hardest part, like you can teach just about anybody to play almost any instrument in a band. Dr bass is the easiest, drums are the hardest, but it is, it is possible to solve those problems. It is much more difficult to solve the problem of finding someone who isn't an asshole or who you can get Chemistry. along with or whose tastes are... Yeah, whose tastes are aligned with yours just enough right. that you're not going to constantly argue about shit, but not so much that you don't have any friction or additive thing from from them joining the band. I thought that was something that they got uh, correct really well. Yeah, I agree. This sort of that X factor, that magic thing with uh, chemistry. I mean, you know, like I was just thinking as you were talking about that, like Guns N' Roses, you know, you got these like uh, all, you know, pretty damn talented players and just this, like, you know, there was this tension about them. And I saw them a bunch of times. I saw them at the Roxy, right, you know, as they were starting to sort of shoot up. And uh, they melted the place. I mean, it was just like, I, I thought, well, the Roxy's not going to survive. They're going to have to rebuild here. <laughs> it was just like such that show. And, um, and boy, there was just like between, you know, Axl Rose and like all that stuff. And like Johnny Lydon, I mean, the biggest thing about him and even into P.I.L., and um, that attitude just like carries him and he's got a, a voice, whether you agree with him or not, is kind of the thing, you know, and his disagreements with the rest of the band, too, were really just like fueled it. And the desperation, too, I'm sure, which, which I'm sure they were all coming from of like, fuck, we got no other choices. We got to make this work. And that guy's an asshole, but I got to do this and maybe somehow it'll get taken care of, you know, just like. And, you know, the foil of it all, just Malcolm McLaren sort of going like, all right, mates, you know, and sort of herding the cats back in and like, here's the fence we're going to paint today. And like, here's a place for you to go fuck off and do your thing. And like, and I love that story about the uh, the guy who hung himself in that particular like building where they said, you know, if it was the guy from Badfinger or something like that. Oh, Badfinger. Yeah. 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 And I was just like, hung himself, oh, hung himself in that our week before. And I'm just like, like, yeah, that's why I got a good deal on it. Yeah, it was so dark. And I'm just like, you know, but ever, ever, you know, grabbing those opportunities. I think that was the, the opportunistic thing. It seems like all of them um, were doing that, you know, and Malcolm was really like the, the leader of all that stuff. Because, I mean, even him with Vivian Westwood, they didn't seem like such a good match. But they're kind of perfect. No. Kind of perfect well, in the way yeah, that it was time, like. Time would tell that they weren't because yeah, they but, split. Because yeah, but, Vivian but, just got, got so fed up with them. Yeah, but like business wise, you know, it was just like, you know, Malcolm's that guy who will just he will grind like some, you know, blood out of a, a rock and, um, you know, arrest his soul. Anyway, it was really interesting. All, all that. So, stuff yeah. Is really so the one thing the, the, the one of the things that that is remarkable about Malcolm McLaren, I was thinking about this when I watched it again last night. Can you guys think of another time where a band got a record deal? went and did some kind of press thing and fucked it up so bad they lost that record deal. <laughs> yeah. Then they got another record deal for even more money. Then they went off and did another press thing that fucked them up so bad they lost that record deal. Swindle. Then they got a third record deal for even more money. Yeah. I'm like, not, not, has not that ever publicly. happened? Well, not publicly that I know, but I know, you know, there's all sorts of shenanigans behind the scenes but like malcolm was great about 
taking that shit out and like putting it on the table and going like, look at this. And like all of a sudden, you know, he was really like the first to uh, get the attention. Like, you know, people on the internet get now where they do something so scandalous, you know, sex tapes or whatever's going on to get attention. And it's all about the attention. Cause like even today, it is so hard to get anyone to like pay attention to your shit or listen to your music, let alone pay attention to just like, you know, your Bandcamp page or whatever you have up there. It's like, how do you get attention? It is kind of the blueprint for today, isn't it? Yeah, he really yeah. did. It. I mean, it was just all shenanigans. And also, you know, politics. It's all politics in that way, too, because like you can tell a story over here, a scandalous story about someone that you're you're going up against in politics, you know, or these uh, whisper campaigns super fascinating i used to watch a bunch of shows on kind of politics because like the, what's a whisper cat what's a whisper, a whisper campaign ca whisper campaign is where they like when you start rumors about somebody. yeah you know like oh, oh. so and so is gay or so and so is a lesbian or you know it's i've heard this thing and then all of a sudden everyone's like oh, and they start and it it's a whisper it's like you know it's basically what what a number of politicians have done recently where it's like some people are saying I'm I'm not saying it. I'm just repeating what I heard that some people are yeah. saying. Oh that yeah. So sure. and so right. You know, whatever. And and you turn up enough of that and bad things happen. I, I do think this is another one of these things that's interesting and important to point out. It's like the world of pistol that we're talking about here is almost fifty years ago, right? Fifty yeah, years. Yeah. Right. Uh, and it is it is and, almost fifty years. Holy shit. And society has changed a lot. And the idea that a band or a musician could be so considered so dangerous in terms of their ideas are so inflammatory that they're going to get dropped from a label or that they would cause a scandal is almost absurd. Uh, I think you guys correctly highlight that in the music business of the 21st century, having a, a following, being able to attract attention of some sort, positive or negative, matters way more than whether you can write songs or not, yeah. Yeah. Whether, whether or not you're talented. Right. It, is, sure. it is about, can you pull an audience? And perhaps, I, I don't, I, I don't I, I'm pretty sure this is something that's inherent in the entertainment business, but I think there is something about the pistols that sort of is like, like many things about the sex pistols, they plant a seed that starts growing into this thing. And it is one of the beginnings of uh, attracting attention, positive or negative, mattering more than than any other musical uh, bit of relevance. But uh, I don't think that there are many other bands. I, I'm trying to think of any who were dropped multiple times for these types of things. And some of it is because at the time, what they were doing was just transgressive in a way that because they transgressed, because they knocked down some of these lines, it it's like no one could really wrap their head the around the way they were transgressing. I guess right. Yeah. Like they, it, yeah, but and but once they had done it, everyone's like, well, I guess it's not so bad. Yeah, it's a terrible thing. And and yeah. I, I mean, probably to to Malcolm McLaren's credit, he was he was like, yeah, but look at the attention they're getting. Look how like how, uh, look at, look at their Q rating. Like how many people know who they are now. Yeah. Um, and then and then you can do that, too, you know, with the fashion and with more press and like, you know, he had a way of sort of like stirring the pot and then setting fires on the outside, you know, like a, a burn sort of like around them to draw even more attention. And he's really brilliant that way. Um, brilliant and ruthless. I mean, this totally is also the guy who saw Adam and the Ants in 1980 and was like, 
I like the band, but I don't like him, and basically stole Adam Ant's band, turned them into Bow Wow Wow, Yep. put a teenage yes, singer in front of the band, yes, he put did. her naked on the cover of the first record, and then yep. was like, I'm going to rush out their first album that's got this crazy... Uh, crazy sound on it and that inspired so, so, Adam yeah, so like, oh shit Malcolm now McLaren's- I have to get my first record out too yeah yeah Malcolm McLaren's big thing was was the Burundi beat records he 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 tripped over these these records by this Burundi tribe in Africa and 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 uh you know shared them with Adam Ant and Adam Ant was like oh wow this is really fucking cool uh eventually Adam Ant figured out the at the end of the day Malcolm McLaren was going to be Malcolm McLaren said oh fuck this I'm not I'm out Kept on with the Burundi beat idea, you know, went off and made Kings of the Wild Frontier. But in the meantime, Malcolm did, did Bow Wow where he did, and did the exact same thing. Yeah. And a- Annabella Lewin, who I've, I've met, uh, was 13 yes. when McLaren was, was putting her naked on the cover of, of, of that record. So fucking wrong. Uh, so wrong. And, and you know, it's, it's one of these other weird things that happens. Like Adam Ant himself would go on to be more successful than just about any other pop star in British history for a period of time. He was bigger than Michael Jackson he was huge. in the early yep. 80s in the UK. Um, you know, just enormous. And uh, another person that we should talk about in depth uh, as part of music. Oh, I'd love to. I was a huge Adam fan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe we'll do that in a, a future episode. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so I think Pistol gets a bunch of these kinds of details, right, about nailing uh, this kind of stuff. And you start to realize there was so much going on there, so many different threads they could have tied into. Um, but they also get this get across this idea that at a certain point, once you are aligned with a record label and a manager and things like that, it starts to get out of your control real quickly. Oh, yeah. yep. Um, and it really starts to be about the business venture rather than making music or making art. And it starts turning into, okay, guys, uh, we need you to create more on demand. We need you to deliver the goods night after night to not fuck up, to be the, the you have to keep in mind, you got these, these kids, these teenagers. They're kids. From, yes, they're kids. From rough circumstances who have all kinds don't, of problems. Don't forget they're fucking from, kids. Like they're some of them are yeah, in the late teens, kids. And, maybe early twenties. Kids, like and, babies. And part of part of why they are being signed is that it's like part of why we signed you guys is that you're out of control and you're rebels and you're dangerous. Now we need you to basically produce on demand and listen to what we say. Like that is obviously not going to end well. Sure. Yeah. And here's some more drugs in the product. Yeah, exactly. What 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 do you need? Yeah, there's some more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you need? There's some more amphetamines. What does he get amphetamines and I? Don't? <laughs> and then they, and then yeah, they send he's got him a to place Texas. to live. He's got amphetamines. Why does he get that stuff? And they send him to you know Texas to do some touring in the South. And I'm just like, Jesus. Yeah, does that too? Yeah. So right. as a follow on to what Anno was saying, it's like as a result of these things, they they end up you know they cut to these scenes like where, where the band's setting up to play, and they're like, okay, why the fuck are we playing this place again? Some cow power. So that happens too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you end up playing in fucking Texas. There was that that weird gig they did where, uh, where where uh, it was it was it, there was like a DJ set with like disco, and then and then they 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 had to play after that, and they cleared the floor, and there was like the, uh, there was a woman working in the hotel. Turned out that she was the one that tried to get them to play, and it was her and her boyfriend that that, that were the only two people there dancing. Yeah, I love that. It's I pretty wild. And I think that's part of it too. That was my experience of being in a band too, is like something new and exciting that like is slightly or definitely going to be dangerous, you know, like being talking about things like, you know, the sex pistols sort of like 
not sort of, but attacking the queen and the bureaucracy of like the royals was just like sacrilege. They're just like in a very, very conservative time, even though it's melting down, you know, that they would like, and, and then of course it got banned, you know, which is like the best thing that could probably happen. Cause then everyone's like, well, now I have to hear this band. Like, what's that about? They're singing about the queen, like God save the queen. They're like, Oh my God, you know? And like, just all, all the scandal and controversy. So yeah. And now 50 years later, it's like, this is par for the course. If you're not scandalous, I don't know how the fuck you get attention. I just saw this thing on, um, uh, Oh, what was it? It was like, you know, all about this celebrity stuff and like, you know, people being famous just for being famous because they were hanging out with other famous people. And I'm just like scratching my head going, it makes sense to me in a logical sort of way, but also like, how does this happen? And all these kids who are, you're like, who is this person? And they're like, money flows into their bank accounts and then it flows out and they're dead like, you know, two months later, whatever it is, like just, but like getting attention is kind of the only thing that people are up to. Um, and then there's, you know, kind of the rest of the artists trying to make stuff and get attention for their art. But you have to sort of succumb. you like, do you have to like create some sensation, like wear the right outfit, go to the right gym, know the right people, just to get people to listen to your music to decide if they like it or not does it even matter if your music makes a difference or not um as you said before anu it's like you know musicians give themselves way more credit they think their stuff is way more valuable than it actually is because like in reality i had a sad discussion with someone about it yesterday i was kind of making some anu quotes about sort of you know uh music being strained and like how not valuable it is, you know, and like why Spotify has got it right in in terms of like, you know, it's just a commodity. And I'm like, ouch. And I'm like, that came out of my own mouth. And I'm like, yow. But that's kind of the reality of it. And like, then what is real? And like, what does matter? So to keep out of the madness of our sort of creative efforts and like, then why do we do it? You know, if it's not for the glory and the fury, then like, you know, and I'm all about glory and fury. Don't get me wrong. If you got, you know, you got a contract and you got some glory and fury, just let me know. Just bring money. <laughs> Let's do it. That was, yeah, that was well, kind of I, I, I always thought that. Go ahead. On. That was one of the things I think is kind of interesting about the pistols. It's like, well, why were they doing it? Because at a certain point, uh, like, was this going to be a job? Like, were they going to be artists? I mean, it seems very clear that it is not going to last. Right. Um, one of the other things I think the film captures well is this, the, the immediate, uh, creation of band politics. The minute that you have different yes. people in the band, yes. now, yeah, they did a really good like, job. Well, I need sit in, I need sit in the band because he's my friend, and I need him to help stand, uh, you know, back me up or stand up against me. And how even with this singer that they've brought in, who is charismatic and weird, and is clearly like the thing that the band needs to push it over the top, the rest of the band is kind of like, uh, I don't know, and is he pulling too much focus from what we're doing? Uh, et cetera. All, all that uh, I think felt very authentic. And those problems, a lot of musicians, a lot of artists in general, part of why we are artists and musicians is because we're not good at just talking to people and communicating our feelings. It's like, I can't tell you how I feel. So I'm going to go write a song. Yeah. Um, yes. And, yes. And uh, you can pretty clearly see partially because they're setting it up in a dramatic way that this unit, this project is doomed. It is not, there's no way this is going to work out for any of the guys in the band. It's just not, yeah. there's, there's, 
no unifying or pulling together force other than desperation. And once they get out of that desperate state, like it, it's over. It's done. Yeah, it's going to be over. Yeah. Well, that seems to be kind of par for the course for most musical acts too. I mean, it's like that's true. Also at best, true. you get like a two to five year sort of run, and then you know what do you do after that? You know, and how do you sustain it? Like, how do bands like ZZ Top? you know, uh, stick around for like, you know, decades, 50 years worth of stuff. And like, you know, one of them dies off and the guitar tech steps in and he looks just like him and he plays just like him. And I'm just like, they just keep. Oh, I didn't even know that happened. That, that is that that happens. Yeah. Dusty so they're died. Keep going. Dusty died. Yeah, and they're, they're, I knew about Dusty dying. I just, I just thought, well, that's it. Yeah. Their, their tech stepped in and they just continue to tour and he's great. He's amazing. You he's know, great. and he's, he wears, he's got the hair and all this stuff and the beard. And it's just like, it's almost like Dusty wasn't there. And I'm just like, it made me sad. But I'm also like, like, you know, when ACDC, you know, and uh, the singer, like, you know, lost his hearing for a bit. And they're just like, oh, all of a sudden Axl Rose steps in. And I'm just like, wow, it's so mercenary. But I'm like, I get it. It makes me sad. But I'm like, like you said, you know, kind of you could kind of train anyone to do that stuff. And by the way, this is the future of rock yeah. and roll. Just, just so you guys know, um, oh, this, there are already this, bands. This music, this, this there are touring bands that have approach, none. You think? Yeah, there, there. It, it's a brand uh, approach, is what it is. It, it is uh, there, there, are, or like a Broadway touring show. There are already bands like Foreigner that are touring. They have none of the original members in the band. Shut the up! Audience doesn't. Care. Shut up! I'm not kidding. I, uh, I know one of the guys who manages a band like this and he basically had said yeah this is this is the way it's all going like no the audience doesn't care way. as long as they sound good and they have the brand so uh, between that and holograms uh, <laughs> I, I think this is the future so, of so you're of saying not, not a good time to be in, not a good time to be in a tribute band is what you're saying no, it's a great time to be That's in a tribute band if you can be so good at it that you become the official uh, tribute band. And if if I were really smart, I would be buying up the rights for these bands and I'd be franchising the shit out of this stuff. It's like the audience doesn't care. So why not have multiple versions of fill in the blank touring different parts of the world and, and collecting? Oh, them. I wonder if that's, uh, and, I wonder if that, I wonder Anu, if that's part of where all this, cause you know, you, you're hearing so much uh, lately about um, these artists getting up in the years and just selling off their back, their back catalog entirely. I mean, I, I get why they're doing it, you know, because the, the industry is just different and they just, they, they, they want the golden parachute. So why not take it? But yeah, I mean, I, it, it certainly leaves a reason that things like that could happen too. Scandalous. Right? What's like the steel Panther thing. You know, it's like those guys, they just, you know, Hey, we got a new yeah. bass player. You know, we're doing a show at, you know, the forum or whatever. And just like, and they're, they're huge. And all the bands that remember were like, um, oh man, that, uh, that Billy Squire band, that was like that guy who, who was putting out, you know, he was like, you know, standing up all these like cover bands that were doing like, uh, what? Oh yeah. This was like 30 years ago. He was like standing up any of this. They were doing like tribute things and like they were doing huge. And so he would create like another one and they would only play in Vegas. And this one would play in L.A. And he had like multiple bands. I think I was talking to you about that, Anu. You, didn't you know someone who was maybe I forgot who I was talking to about it, that it was mind bending. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. That'll never work. And now here we are. And I'm like, you know, like all these like boy bands who come out and it's like, 
I can't tell who's who in the bands, you know? Uh, and they're huge. Like, you know, the, the Korean bands and just like, you know, K-pop, J-pop, all that stuff is like, you don't really know, unless you're a super fan, you don't really know which human being is actually playing the part of that particular voice. I mean, it's like, a, it's wild. It's really wild. It makes me sad, but also kind of like, super curious about the future it is very kind of we just well that's what we need to do we 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 got we got to start a boy band fellas that's what we got to do can we find three guys that are like this boy band music we could we could brand out this uh Uh, this podcast and just find three guys i i did watch uh i used to be famous on netflix about the uh the the uh, dramatic slash comedic film about a former boy band singer. And that was uh, fucking heartwarming. So if you want uh, a nice heartwarming, feel good movie, oh, yeah? you can watch that one. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, so Pistol gets all of this correct. They do drop some good historical footage in here and there, although it, it sort of, again, sits uneasily next to the very nicely shot uh, stuff that's going on and sort of further provides more contrast with, I think how overly pretty the the rest of it looks, um, but it does tell this uh, this this story over a, a good couple of hours. I mean, I think of it as more of a very long movie than um, a, a mini series yeah. because it is kind of one. Um, you know, the the focus moves a little bit. You get to to see a little bit about the various other members. It is mostly focused on Steve Jones, and I would say also focused on the John Lydon character a bit as kind of a foil or contrast for, for Steve Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, It does a decent job of, of telling the sex pistol story. One of the things I I think it can't help but fail at is hearing the, uh, and they, they didn't recreate the tracks. They used the original tracks from the record in, in most cases, but, it um, is them playing live. I found that out in interviews. That that is that all the yeah, live stuff you, is the actual actors actually playing live. They they have the not hard and but but the the music doesn't sound all that dangerous. Fifty years later. no doesn't sound all that scary. No. Doesn't sound all that revolutionary. Um, so that's one thing is it's really hard to convey accurately how how much of a shift it was from the other things that were going on at the time. And then the other thing that I think it it doesn't necessarily do a great job at which is understandable because it's not really what it's about, but it, it doesn't really convey how inspiring it was for all of the people that heard it. You know, the, the pistols didn't play that many shows. They actually didn't even sell that many records. I believe it took something like 20, 20 years for it to go for nevermind the box to go gold. Oh shit. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll Google up the stats here in a second. Well, I know but, that's true. Um, of the Ramones too. Like the, the Ramones, Ramones record sales were, abysmal like they, they never really sold more than like a hundred thousand of anything yeah but it, but it is said that basically every person in the audience at those first couple of pistols gigs went on to start their own bands and that sense of like this is possible you can do this um i think that's perhaps the most important part of the pistol story the the part that i i guess one of the things i i took issue with with the the hulu series is that inevitably when you make something like this, there's a little bit of like lionization of the people in the band. Like, aren't these guys great? And I think part of the message for me about the sex pistols is no, these guys aren't great. They're not good musicians. They're not particularly articulate. 
Uh, they were not. They showed everybody a way. Um, they showed the rest of us who were never going to be in a band like Emerson, Lake and Palmer or Rush or Toto a way in. They showed us a way in. Yeah. I, was, I was talking to Hazel about this last yeah. night. Toto. I said that that's what they really is, did. Is they, they showed us a way to do it. Go fucking steal gear. Go find some place to make to make noise that people aren't going to complain and just go. I mean, that's. Yeah. I played in bands. It, like it makes that. me wonder. It makes me wonder if it's possible to be simultaneously the equivalent of a one-hit wonder and incredibly influential, yeah. right? Because that's effectively what these guys, they didn't have hits. They barely put out this one record. And most of the people in the band, including Steve Jones, really didn't do anything else of substance for most of the rest of their career, um, right? Well, uh, I mean, live had Jonesy done. played... Well, the exception that I was going to mention, and even then, part of what's interesting about Pill is how far away and experimental and weird, uh, or at least challenging expectations that project was, even if it wasn't commercially successful. But but Leiden's sort of the exception here. I mean, Jonesy played with a bunch of people. He played on a bunch of records. But if you go and listen to, I, I think he made one or two solo records. He I made a, have, well, he had uh, a band, Mercy. he had a band with Paul Cook called The Professionals, which was not that great. Um, and then he. And Cook had the Chiefs of Relief. He did. He had the Chiefs of Relief. Uh, and he did some solo stuff. He that got was not the that freedom to run. I think really like the best stuff in my mind that he did was like the stuff he did with, with Iggy, you know, in the, in the mid eighties. Like that's when he kind of seemed like he kind of hit his stride and just, and just figured out, oh, well, I'm a good, I'm just a good side man. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And there's no way you could have predicted that, you know, I mean, that, I think that was sort of the revolutionary idea that we were talking about was like, you couldn't just like go back and re-engineer this today. I mean, they basically designed what happens today in terms of like getting attention. Like you got to do something scandalous, find people that are doing, you know, and put together this, like these disparate parts and see what the fuck happens. Kind of like this podcast. You know, but like, you know, how do yes. you put these personalities together and sort of see what happens? I don't think we're all that dangerous, by the way. So. No, but I mean, without question, this, you could draw, you could connect a dot from this podcast to the inception of that band. Yeah. That the inception of that band being the inspiration for this podcast. You know, me going to you and going, let's just do, let's do a podcast. And then you send me a but we bag, of, a bag, of, cocaine, a bag of cocaine yeah. and the microphone and you're like, let's yep. go. And I'm yep. just like, exactly. You're, you're not supposed to say yes. you need to stay up for two days and learn how to yes. podcast. Dude. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Please don't send yes. me cocaine via FedEx ever again. Please. I can't do that anymore. No. I'll trace it back I to you. I know people that used to. I do, so oh, man. I know people that used to do that shit. I'm, I'm sure you've got stories too, Michael. Oh, yeah. Warner Brothers stories. Oh, my God. Right. Wow. So fucking nuts that people would do that shit, man. Like that was a thing. That was yeah, a thing, totally. Michael. Totally. So crazy. And like, what's his name? What's that, uh, that manager name? Uh, McGee, Doc McGee. That guy got busted for like, he was selling dope. He managed like uh Motley Crue and like all these huge metal bands. And like, he was the guy, he was the man. And he was also like, selling weed via like FedEx and like shipping it in giant, like, you know, uh, uh, containers like that you'd carry amplifiers in. And he's like, pack it with, you know, big old bags of marijuana and like 
send it, you know, around the world. And like, he'd send it with his bands and just like, he, you know, very entrepreneurial. I'll give him that, you know, cause he's already got some places. He's like, well, why don't you make another case and just stick all the weed in it? Well, the crazy brazen shit that, 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 that always was always crazy to me was like, um, FedExing bags of cocaine for heroin oh, yeah. to people in need. And they weren't checking it at all. I mean, now these no. days, I don't think you can get away with anything. You can't even you, send you like can't, a dollar, you can't get a dollar bill that. via, you know, USPS without totally going, can't like, get away with it's that illegal now. to send money through mail. And it's like, yeah. what? Anyway, we're not so that crazy. radical. We're not that radical. We just send microphones and recipes. Microphones. Yeah. Microphones and guitar pedals. That's, that's, that's how we do. Yeah. We, we keep it real. Anyway. Yeah. That, <laughs> That whole thing about, you know, I don't know, it was, it was a fascinating sort of little thing. And I think it's important, too, to get that, like, that wasn't exactly what happened. Like, you know, they're telling a story. Like, in these modern times, you got to, like, tell stories in a particular way. I think if it was really more authentic and more gritty, I think it would have been really sad. And it, it couldn't have, I couldn't have sustained watching it. I would have been so bummed out and just gone, like, I don't want to see a bunch of junkies dying in front of me. That's what... Like train spotting, like if it was like a little and train spotting, fortunately, was like hilarious. But like, you know, that sort of world of junkies and music and just like, oh, like real, real gritty shit that like. Was well, and it, it is worth talking about that. I mean, um, you know, they bring Sid into the band and that is one of the in some ways is the beginning of the end. Yeah. Right. It is the, the uh, triumph of politics and image over actually being a band. They kick out Glenn Matlock. It is arguably a betrayal of one of their friends and founding members. And it took a long time for the guys in real life to to reckon with that. Uh, the whole Sid Vicious thing is basically a tragedy. It is. Uh, top to bottom. And I, I would argue it was sort of definitively covered by Alex Walker's movie, Sid and Nancy, um, which is really, um, uh, I, I haven't seen it in a while, but I, I bet it holds I up. I think it does too. But, but basically it's just a super sad story of a kid that they shove into this band. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's not even really clear that he wants to be in the band and he gets hooked on heroin and he dies. And uh, I still remember seeing a, a not, not a, without even a passing interest in heroin to begin with. I mean, the way, the way it's, it's portrayed in, in just about everything I've seen or read, you know, like he, he was just around it and, you know, someone passed it to him and he, he did it and he was, he was in. Yeah. Bored, bored. And, 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 and I think Nancy, it, Nancy had something to do with it. She Definitely. was a, a, a big junkie, but I, I still remember seeing a PSA in the nineties where it was just uh, Steve Jones basically standing up against a wall and he's like, drugs are really bad. Drugs killed my friend. Don't do drugs. And uh, it was, such such uh it was potent because it was no bullshit uh but but that aspect of things is really sad and once sid dies it's like th there's your wages of fame there's your wages of aspiration kids and it's also sort of telling and sad that basically despite all this hype kind of nobody wins at the end of pistol nobody yeah. mclaren doesn't get the financial success that he wanted um yeah, that's true. None of the guys that's in the true. band make any money. Right. Um, none of the guys in the band walk out of that into future glory. Um, you know, they 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 helped start this revolution, but 
Everyone except for Malcolm None of them walks really away dead ass broke. Yeah. And and even, you know, Malcolm was busy blowing his money and trying to get other projects off the ground yeah. and things like that. I mean, he's not exactly a guy who who died rich no. um, and kept trying to do what he felt were interesting things in the music business or at least controversial things in the music business. And that's one of the things that I also feel like the show kind of doesn't I, I think you're perhaps right, Michael, that they didn't want to. How are you going to sell this as this huge downer? Right. Um, that's they, they want the peppy, uh, peppy, poppy version of punk that helped sell Doc Martens, not like a gritty, grimy thing that you finish and you're just kind of like, Whoa. yeah. Uh, but, yeah. But I think that 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 feeling that kind of like we went through all of that for this is really what the story is about. Yeah. The, the pay, like the payoff and like, you know, it, and it can be disheartening too for like future musicians there. If, I mean, if that was the message of the film and they're just like, that's what you get if you try and be a rock star, you know, like one, one, like, you know, uh, terrible warning of a story. It's like, ah, oh. but like train spotting is probably more closer to, you know, just how bad drugs are and like the madness of all that stuff. But like that was definitely, that was not Definitely. a rock and roll movie and that did not start a, you know, a musical movement that really has changed music forever. Um, you like the whole punk rock scene. I mean, you know, and I, I still, you know, I'm waiting for that, that uh, Ramones movie where they really get to like the source, but because they, you know, they planted the seed in England that, you know, uh, birthed the pistols and a whole bunch of other people where they're just like, whoa, from a, one very small show. It's just like, holy shit. So anyway, it's curious, but yeah, I, th I think, you know, it's got to be slick enough to to sell, you know. But it's hard, you know. I still liked it. I mean, I mean, for you know, for for everything that you know, the th the thing about the, the 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 modifying of events and collapsing events and rewriting events that's that's something that that has to happen. I mean, anybody directing a movie based on a true story will say, uh, you know, doing this kind of thing, trying to condense. Five year, a, five, a story that spans five years into an hour and a half, you have to make decisions. You have to, you know, and, and uh, I remember some, somebody put it best. They said, you have to take things that happen in five minutes and, and extend them into 30 minutes sometimes. And then sometimes you have to take something that, that went over the court, that spanned over the course of a year and try to condense it into 20 minutes. He said, it's just what you have to do. Um, and, and Danny Boyle was, I, I, I've heard it. I, I saw some interviews with him after I watched it the first time and he was very frank about it. He said, yeah, we had to do this. We really wanted to tell this story, but in, in, in the interest of keeping the story moving and doing this thing, um, we had, we had to kind of, we had to condense the, the timeline. We had to do things out, out of, out of, out of, out of sequential order. The, the whole, um, episode three, the whole thing about, uh, the girl from bodies, the Pauline girl. Um, he was saying, he goes, that actually didn't happen until much later in, in real life than, than where he placed it, uh, within the sequence of episodes because he just wanted to tell the story. And they tricked um, me. I thought it was Polly's diary. But, but, <laughs> but the thing is, the thing is, is he, he did, I, I love that he told that story. Like that was, that was another thing that like, I'd heard about in interviews, like I'd heard about how that, how that song came about in interviews and I, I just, you know. And it's a completely different thing listening to a talking head tell the story and watching it get acted out. 
You know, it just it resonates in a different way, much like much like Malcolm McLaren's um, hat trick of 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 of, of uh, getting bounced off labels twice and then and then finding record deals every time with more money. Like that was in Rock and Roll Swindle when Rock yeah. and Roll Swindle came out. And like everybody knows that, but something about watching it play out the way he he, he presented it like made you realize go made you realize oh shit he did that and that that's that's the thing I was thinking about. It's like that could never fucking happen today. Like how no, did that and, fucking and, happen? and of course, when you're making a, a dramatic film like this, you you can put in foreshadowing, you can highlight motivations, you can make things explicit that were implicit, or you can make things very concrete when they might have been much blurrier uh, to begin with. And I think one of the other things that you have to keep in mind is like this movie wouldn't have gotten made without the permission of at least three of the people in the Sex Pistols. And you can imagine that they have their own agenda about uh, or agenda about how they want to be portrayed, about things that they might want to omit or things that they might want to put in there. I mean, funnily enough, you know, so one of the things that starts to happen that they touch on at the end is like it's not just Sid who's kind of getting involved with with drugs. And I think if this movie had been made 20 years ago, 30 years ago, or in a different time, the people involved would have been like, well, I don't want to be represented as using drugs. Oh, sure. That's not good for yeah, me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But, but I think paradoxically now people are like, well, I do want to mention that. I do want to make sure that that's in there for, for various reasons. And, you know, that, that brings me back around. I mentioned that I watched this uh, documentary about the slits uh, that was on Amazon called. Yeah, I'm glad you, I was. I was. I was about to ask you to pivot because you know, so you can. And talk about um, that. I, I will say off the off the bat that, like, from a technical perspective, it's not particularly well made. Um, it is no. clearly shot with like home. It's home shot with somebody's mini, lighting. Mini not great. Yeah, and and some of the footage and assembly and stuff, it's it's definitely low budget. Um, and if I read the credits correctly, it was actually made by one of the daughters of one of the the people in in the band. Um, but one of the things that I found really interesting about it, first of all, um, it, it is a it is a flawed piece of work. But if you are interested in this time period and this kind of important taproot of rock music, it's worth the hour and a half that it's going to take you to sit through the thing. Um, it is also for better or for worse, probably the only documentary you're going to get about the slits. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And, and that makes, for me, that makes some of its shortcomings more irritating. It's sort that's of a, like, that's another band that, that, would, that, would, that would serve to benefit from, from like some, like a dramatic telling of that story. Right? Yeah. So yeah, uh, Viv from the slits wrote a great book called, um, uh, I want to make sure I get the title. Oh, right tell, here. I want to uh, know. I want to get it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Viv Albertine. I read this book. It's great. It's called clothes, 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 music, 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 boys, boys, boys. Um, and she wrote this memoir uh, a, a couple years ago. It's great. Uh, I think it was uh, seven years ago. I think it came out in 2015. Yeah. So Viv Albertine was the guitar player for the slits. And, um, she wrote this fantastic book. She's in the documentary for what feels like about 10 minutes <laughs> um, and is in some ways the most articulate person in there. Um, but as a documentary that needs to go and talk to a bunch of people involved with the band, one of the things that I found shocking about the documentary was what it left out. 
And uh, these are not really spoilers because if you know anything about the slits, you know about these things. But the singer for the slits was a young woman named Ari Up. And uh, Ari dies from breast cancer. The film does not mention a couple of things around this. One of the things that it does not mention is that part of why she died from breast cancer is she refused to get any kind of treatment for it. Um, she was real. I didn't know that. With, I did not know yeah, that. <laughs> allegedly concerned with losing her her dreadlocks, her hair, uh, etc., and basically had ch- chose not to have any treatment for her breast cancer. It's, it's, she, almost she's almost like the female Bob or, Marley. Yeah. Yeah. Or. Uh, th- Steve Jobs, for that matter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So one thing, right. hey, hey, kids, if you have cancer, go get treatment for it or you're going to die. Um, so that that's not mentioned at all. They present her her death as like this death from cancer as this big tragedy, but it's not even mentioned obliquely. The other thing that this film didn't mention at all that is, again, shocking for its omission is. <clears throat> so Ari Up was the, the daughter of um, uh, a a publishing heiress. Uh, and, uh, do they never the, talk about that in the doc? They don't talk about this. They, it's been a long time. They, since well, I've they, seen it. They, they talk about her mom, Nora and how Nora was really helpful. They neglect to mention altogether that in 1979, Nora Forster, Ari Up's mother married Johnny Rotten yeah. from well, the sex. I mean, yeah, that's what and I was talking about. They are still too. married. Yeah. 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 Still Not married. mentioned in the documentary at really? all. At wow. all. Interesting. Wow. Uh, and I, I can only believe that this is partially because, uh, n- to go a step further. Because, because, because uh, of, Ari were they afraid a of John of, Lyme, you think, or something like No, no I, I, think it's, I think it's more they're afraid, they were afraid of representing Ari up in a bad light. So one of the things that happened is Ari up had a couple of kids and she was doing an abys- by all accounts, an abysmal job of raising them. And, uh, John Lydon and his wife, Nora, stepped in and basically adopted the kids and took them away from Ari because the kids couldn't read, right. could barely speak, uh, et cetera. None of that mentioned in the in the film. Lydon talks about this a little um, bit in his documentary, though, doesn't he? I feel like I think he did. Yeah. 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 Which is not surprising, given that this is a I mean, it's funny because on the one hand, when we think of Johnny Rotten from uh, pistol or in general, you think of this like fuck everything, mean, nasty, cynical, awful, like and 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 thrillingly so no. kind of yeah, a person. He wasn't that at all. Um, but but when you when you look at what he has done with his life, um, in terms of things like maybe it's just some of the mellowing out that happens as you get older. But he, he his his wife. No, Laura, I, I, I mean, about if, has, if any has part Alzheimer's of Alzheimer's and he is her full time. Yeah. Uh, he's he's become of, his wife's full time caregiver. Episodes, if any part of that bodies episode is true, I I, I think there was some, there was some part of that was he he always had that. Um, I think he was yeah. just really at the end of the day he was just a good Irish Catholic boy, you know, born to Catholic parents who yeah. cared about him, and and he was just always interested but, but, in trying to do the right stuff. thing. Angry about stuff, but always interested in trying to do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, this list documentary is pretty good, but part, part of what I found, I can only hypothesize like there, this stuff is dramatic gold and documentary gold. And for it to be left out suggests to me that one or more people were like, you can't, I will not endorse the making of this film if these things are included in it. Uh, 
I don't know how you could make, so it's, it's not an objective documentary. And, and frankly, I don't know how you can tell this story without including those details because they are significant. And for me, this is one of the things I think is important when we start looking at any, whether it's a documentary or a dramatization like Pistol was, any of these things, you have to recognize that we are seeing a curated version of what the truth is or a subjective or oh, edited yeah. version of what the truth yeah. might be because people have, have a agenda. Um, but that said, you know, the, the slits were remarkable in some ways. Um, I, I, I do think if you want to learn more about them, I would, I, I would point you at, at Viva Albertine's book that I mentioned, the close, close, close music, 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 boys, 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 I think is a, a better place to start than this documentary. Yeah. I just but found the doc it. does have some good stuff in it and some great footage. I just found it. I'm going to check it out. Thanks for that. Yeah. And I think she's actually written a second one. The other band that is similar to this, but sort of on the American side, you guys, I think one of you had mentioned the Go-Go's and oh, um, yeah. Kathy Valentine wrote a pretty good memoir uh, a couple years ago that I read as well. And I still haven't seen that Go-Go's doc yet. The Go-Go's doc is good. That out. It's good. It's yeah, really it's, good. It's good. It's very fair. It's very fair. They, they beat themselves up the way they should have beaten themselves up about some of the some really bad shit they did. Um, yeah, and and Michael, you knew Brian Waters, right? Did you? Yeah, back in the LA days, because he was in Frosted with Jane Weedlin, right? I mean, we knew, and I think Lance Porter was playing drums for them. Yeah. Did you know yeah, Lance? Yeah, and I, I also I co-wrote some songs with with Jane. She was a, a friend of some friends of mine, and so we actually wrote some. Wait, music. what? Yeah, I didn't know yeah. that. What? Well, we'll have to save this for our Go Go's episode. Yeah, there's a oh, whole I want to know about this. I, yeah. I am a huge Jane Weedland fan. Jane, Jane Weedland was the first was the first go go that I met. I'll never, we were my friend Tony, who I played my first punk band with, and I went to a go go show at the Cuckoo's Nest, and she somehow got flung into us. We were standing at the front of the stage waiting for them to play. Someone flung her into us, and she turned around. And she goes, "Oh, hey, I'm Jane. You, you guys want to drink of my? Beer? We were kids. She had yeah. a beer, and she goes, she goes, you guys want to drink of my beer?' And went, "Yeah, yeah." She let, she let us take a pull off her beer, and she goes, "Okay, see ya." She was super nice. Yeah, she's sweet. She's a very sweet woman. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, did you? You said you'd seen the documentary D on the on the slits. I saw it, but I saw it like right when it came out, uh, and I don't. The only thing I really remember about it was that it, it's was that uh, I, I liked the fact that they were talking that, that they were talking about the you know again the world that they were entering into as an all girl group. And just talking about all the challenges associated with that, the, the 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 bits that took me out was like you said, it was clearly like shot with somebody's mini DV camera, and the audio is not great. And the, and then they spend an inordinate amount of time with one of the members like flipping through a, a photo album, which was weird yeah, to the, me. The bass player, the bass player, yeah. yeah, the bass player who is also a recovering heroin addict. But it's also interesting that there's so much of the same kind of arc here. It's from the same time period. Yeah, uh, yes. Ziv. And the rest of the slits were very much involved in the same punk scene with the same people that we're talking about. Yep. Uh, it, I also thought around, it was interesting. They were given the, same the doc was kind of compressed. The, the doc was kind of compressed in terms of like it wasn't six hours the way Pistol was, um, and they probably didn't have a lot of archival footage. But the slits had the same thing of like none of them could play when they started. Nope. You know, or they had very limited musical skills and yep. uh, had to go through the same process of learning how to play good enough to express themselves. They had the additional thing of dealing with a level of 
what today would be called misogyny 50 years ago of people basically saying, well, it's just women and women don't play rock and roll. And yep. clearly they're not playing on the record and they're no good and et cetera. As, um, as much as the Go-Go's really talk about that, that as much as the Go-Go's talk about that, that yeah. was really, really a thing with them. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and at the same time, they also, the slits went through the same thing of like firing a bunch of people that didn't fit the band Yeah, uh, that might've been good musicians. And in some cases were their friends and booting them out. Yep. Um, and yeah. the other connection here is that, uh, of course, uh, Viv and, uh, Paul Mollif had played in a band called flowers of romance with a young man named yes, they did. Sid Vicious and, uh, who, and who another that- guy and, and a guitar player named Marco Peroni who went on to play in Adam and the Ants. That's right. And and of course, it, it's also worth mentioning that one of the early Public Image Limited records by John Lydon was called The Flowers of Romance. Yes, it was. A title that he had also stolen from uh, from that band. Yep. So a, a lot of interesting connections. And, and it might be interesting for uh, listeners, if you're looking for an interesting double feature, watch a little bit of the Slits documentary to see what a grimy, low-budget um uh, very authentic picture of the rock life and its aftermath, and then watch a couple of episodes of Pistol. So oh, I thing would. Interesting so about this, I this. would. I would take that one farther, Anu, and and make it a triple feature. And and you know, only because I I, I figured this out last night. It's actually um, uh, it's a it's a very accessible documentary now. I, I guess I, I I went looking for it. I went trying to rent it or buy it, and you can't even find it. I, I think just because of you know the licensing right now. Uh, the, the Julian Temple documentary from 2000, The Filth and the Fury, is also a really good thing to watch. Okay. Yeah. And you can find it on YouTube. There, there's a couple of uh, people have posted it on YouTube. You can, uh, there's a pretty good version of it on YouTube. Um, highly recommend that one, too. And that's, that's again, that's basically, um, that's basically Pistol uh, 20 years ago. Uh, in, in documentary form, it's 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 all the members of the Pistols, uh, you know, just as talking heads. Julian Temple did this really interesting thing where he blacklit them. He did he did them a silhouette, so they're they they're anonymous in a way, you know. So they're talking, but you you never see them. When when they cut to them, they're they're just like black silhouetted, and it, and so it's a bunch of archival footage. And and Julian Temple does does a similar thing. He does a really good job. Of trying to paint a picture of what things were like in those days, and it's and it's uh, instead of unlike Pistol, it's them telling the same, pretty much the same story. It's mm. also quite good. Yeah, and the whole movie I just checked the whole that whole movie is is on YouTube if you if you search. It for is. It. So yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna so, download and watch it tonight. Check but, it out. But one of the things I think is interesting is as I mentioned, like Pistol ends, and it just sort of ends with these teenagers kind of heading off in different directions, and it's left for the viewer to kind of pull together that this doesn't really work out well for anybody. That is much more obvious when watching the Slits documentary. Um, The bass player sort of makes light of her own serious heroin addiction, but you don't have to be have a whole lot of experience with that to understand that her life's not in a great place right now. Uh, despite the fact that she was the bass player. Oh yeah, that's band. right. Yeah. You know, Ari up is dead. Uh, Viv Albertine has been, has been doing a bunch of different things and I don't, you should, I'll let you read her book so you can find out she about seems to be the all one the person that, that kind of survived and has kind of prevailed and just found her, her lane. 
found an identity beyond that. And then of course, Palm Olive, the, the drummer, uh, basically it's, it's one of those things of like, if you were assembling sort of a sitcom about what happened to the band members, it's like, well, she's a school teacher who lives in Maine, <laughs> you know, this, this Spanish, uh, Spanish punk rock Dana drummer, Joe drummer who was, was, was da- yeah. Wild, wild, yeah. wild, uh, is, is now teaching music at a school in, oh, in Maine. I and I love that. Um, that's is, so great. It's very religious and dresses fairly conservative. You know, I mean, she's still alive. Um, yes, yeah, st- still alive, and and by all accounts, um, happy. You know, yeah. and if if I'm if I'm going to try to make some big sweeping statement about all of these things, it's like when you're young, there's a sense of like you want to do something great with your life, you want to transform things, have an impact, etc. But at a certain point, you sit back and you go, you know, I just just want to be happy. <laughs> I just want to have some peace and some satisfaction. Yeah, that's where I'm now. Um, I mean, all of this. Yeah. You old dirty dogs, you happy, ridiculous. Well, hopefully it all leads to that. You know, I think that's kind of like, well, I mean, we discussed that before about, you know, uh, work life situation. It's like underneath all of it is like at our center, uh, it has been asserted that it's like happiness, you know, and then there's everything that happiness is not like pleasure is not happiness and all that. But like, I think a real kind of baseline for like, are you pretty happy would be nice to be able to go. Yeah, I can say that I'm pretty happy. You know, have all the goals been met? I'm like, no, thank God. There's more to do. You, know, so. you don't have to be a fucking tortured artist. You don't have to fucking shoot up to write to make good art. You, it's okay to be happy. Everybody, it's okay to be happy and make good art. You can still make good art and be happy. Right, Anu? <laughs> well, uh, I guess what I would say is I'm working on both of those things. I'm working on trying to make good art and I'm working on trying to be happy. And I do think that there's a lot of really destructive mythology around the idea that great art only comes from being miserable. There's plenty of, of arguments to the counter. And I'd also go a step further and say, even if even if you want to accept that thesis on its face, it ain't worth yeah. it to, to, to decide to do the art part and not the being happy part. Yeah. At least where I'm at right now, uh, and it's probably easy for me to say this, I'd rather be a mediocre or bad artist uh, who is happy and satisfied <laughs> uh, than, than a, a great artist who isn't. I, think, I concur. I think you can I have, concur. I think it's possible to have both. Yeah, that's what you say. It takes some diligence, you know? That's what you say. Okay, Mr. Cynical. All right. Should we pull well, a card? Oh, shoot. Yeah, should we pull you, a card? You know, I, I know that. I, I am ill prepared. I can pull one for you, D. Thanks, Ani. I can't, I can't see you, so when you got Okay. Yeah, you, you guys are driving. The connection here is not great. Yeah. So when are you guys going to okay. have to read them? I, I, can, I can read them. All right. You got the drummer, Michael. Can you do the drum roll? Yeah, I can do. You're that. gonna have to do the drum roll. You know how to do that? You got you got to flip to live and then tap the oh, thing. No. Where's the goddamn thing? Where's the goddamn thing? Where it at? No, I can't find. Oh, here it is. Media. Oh my jeez. Okay, here we go. Ready? Go. <laughs> Okay, Boom. Michaels says 
simple subtraction. Fuck yeah. Uh, Anus says the inconsistency principle. And the one I pulled for D is, is there something missing? (laughs) So many things. So many things. Wasn't that the name of the last uh, Sid Licious and the Pants? Sid Licious. I like Licious. Is there something missing? Sid Licious. No, that's that's not a bad title for a song. I think I might have to put that in there. I, I, I approve this message. All right, amigos. You can find us on the internet, kids. We got the Facebooks page. Smash that subscribe button. Follow us. You know all the places you watch the podcasts. You can find us at Music Mindful Mindfulness You can send questions to Michael Hadley at admin at Music Mindfulness uh, You can you can ask him if he wants to start a band. You know, yeah, please do. He might entertain it. Please do bring money and fame um, and uh, burritos. If you if you give <laughs> if you say, hey, I have money and fame, can I be in your band? Yeah, I think he might entertain it. Oh boy! If only. Yeah. <clears throat> Still waiting for that knock from Dave Grohl. Michael. Oh, hey! Did you got? Did you guys? So, um, well, it's it's a big deal to us. But we did just find out we we uh, we we passed uh, surpassed twenty five thousand not twenty five thousand twenty five hundred downloads two thousand five hundred two thousand five hundred big deal for us who let that happen not a big deal for everybody else who I let all know. those kids in my room what yeah. happened that's amazing that kind of shocked me because it was so still thank like, you yeah thank you it was like two thousand just like you know two days ago and all of a sudden it was like whoa twenty five hundred yeah I was surprised by that too that's an army a so, small army. For those of you that, for those of you that keep listening, thank you, thank you for, thank you. Please come, keep coming back. We yes. hope you, you guys enjoy it, enjoy listening to us as much as we, we like talking to each other. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, gentlemen, see y'all next week, and uh, right. thank you for listening. Catch you later. Howdy. <laughs>